From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Joining me from the far end of the North Fork of Long Island is Imogen Rose Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. Good to be with you. And joining <laughs> us from the world headquarters of Impact Alpha in the San Francisco Bay Area is editor and CEO David Bank. Hi, David. Hey, you guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you, too. On today's show, are we entering an era of impact ennui? Summer break is over for many of us here at Returns on Investment. And as we gear up for a perennially crowded fall of impact conferences, gatherings, workshops, and the rest, the question nagging us is, where's the impact? And where's the capital? David, you're usually our resident impact optimist. Why do you have the impact blues? Well, Actually, let me start, because I'm a resident optimist, let me start on the glass half full side. And I'll tell you, and I'll work around to the negative. <laughs> uh, we, Give we, us an impact this, feedback sandwich. The, the, the impact story of the summer actually has been opportunity zones, uh, which we've covered extensively at Impact Alpha. And um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a capital gains tax break, basically, for investing in low-income census tracts around the U.S., part of last year's tax bill. And uh, it's just generated an absolute uh, flood of, of interest and funds forming and plans. And so you think, oh, that's the optimistic part. And, and we can get into a whole discourse on opportunity zones. But the point was, wow, all the money is going to flow to this new category because it got a capital gains tax cut. And at the same time that we're looking at this frenzy of interest, I've been looking at the the sort of flat to down numbers in a bunch of other very high impact areas. So you look at smallholder farmer finance around the world, which everybody agrees is like a very high leveraged way to bring people out of poverty and to deal with food security and to raise farmers income and um uh, flat to down. You look at small and medium-sized enterprises. Again, you know, key to the SDGs. You know, a, a bottom-up prosperity mechanism. Uh, the Aspen Network of Development Entrepreneurs put out a report a few weeks ago. Again, flat to down for the last few years. You look at renewable energy financing around the world. Should be on an upswing. We have to hit the, you know, the Paris climate goals. You know, the, 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 the you know, the, if anything, this summer has proven, you know, that climate change is, is real. And here, you know, renewable energy financing flat to down. So, again, it's like these things should be, you know, the inflection point should have already come. And we should now be cranking on exponentially higher amounts of capital. And it's just not. Be, it's not just there. So the frenzy around opportunity zones just, I think, to me, highlighted the sort of uh, lack of activity in, in these other high impact areas. So to make it a full impact feedback sandwich, I need you to, to end on a positive, though, David. OK, I'll end on a positive note. We had a piece the other day that I thought actually put the nail on the head or hit the nail on the head. It was by a, a woman named Diane Eisenberg, who has a family office fund called Kenny Arth. And she's been a uh, advocate for several years, and, and I think probably appropriately so, saying, you know, you cannot, if, 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 if your goal is deep impact, you cannot also be saying we're going to get market rate returns. And I think a lot of folks have kind of come around to that. But what she did is say, we're going to operationalize that insight by moving money from what have been the sort of impact market rate funds. You know, so there's a bunch of folks like, 
like Generation and Bain Capital and others who have advertised you know, market rate returns in their impact funds. And she's moving it to a whole set of things that actually track very much with what I was saying. Uh, smallholder finance, small business finance, uh, community development finance in the U.S. that she says are lower risk than generally perceived, but very stable, right? I mean, lower returns, obviously, but also lower risk. And that you can preserve your capital uh, while ha- while recycling it uh, for, for, for impact. And so she calls this impact first capital preservation. That's the, sh- the, the strategy. And I think they're going to move something like $200 million over the next 10 years from this market rate so-called uh, category into this capital preservation strategy. And I think that that is the kind of shift that people are going to have to get their heads around if the money, if, if money is actually going to move into these impact areas, which Maybe maybe the takeaway is that you know they're not going to deliver you know exponentially you know market rate returns um, and I don't know they, you know anyway there's some kind of reckoning in impact investing that's coming and where is the money and where is the impact you you said it in the intro so Imogen you're usually our resident lovable curmudgeon but I think we need a phone a friend lifeline here to uh, help David out and inject some optimism here so what makes you optimistic these days. Well, well, first of all, I have a bone to pick with David. When we were prepping for this podcast, David specifically said he did not want to talk about opportunity zones. We could have done a whole podcast on it, but no, no, no. David said he didn't want to. And I've been giving it deep thought. And what is the first thing he brings up? Opportunity zones. I tell you, it's the impact story of the summer. It's hard to escape. It's just the, the, <laughs> the level of interest is off the charts. I had profound and deep things to say, and now you'll never know what they are. Um, So, I mean, in a way, like David's sort of coming around to what I've been saying all all along, right? Um, I I do think, and I mean, anyone knows this from spending time in the market. There is a disconnect between the rhetoric and the reality of capital flowing into opportunities. And and that has been, as I said, it's been, been the case really since the beginning. And, and part of that has to do with the nature of the people who are in this conversation. So, you know, not to pick on them much as I love them. Um, you know, you see this a lot with the high net worth marketplace, that people love to talk about this. They love to like, you know, sit around and have nice chats you know, my favorite rich kids of impact land, those kinds of people. To what extent does that result in real dollars flowing out of the door is very, very hard to tell. So even when you think about sort of, you know, all the statistics around wealth transfer and how much the millennials care about saving the world, like we have yet to see that materialize in real capital allocations. At the same time, you know, the institutional investment land is still very skeptical of a lot of the impact story, even as it sort of embraces the the, the broader ESG notion, i.e. caring about the environment, social responsibility, and corporate governance. To its mind, and again, you'll hear this over and over again, and I'm not saying anything new, um, people are yet to be convinced that they can make money from impact investing. And they still very much believe that you have to give up returns to do good. So if you want institutional for-profit capital to move in, that is still very much a work in progress. 
so you ask me like what gives me so cause for optimism and the answer is actually people right like i do think that people sitting in investment seats sitting in allocator allocator seats they don't want to be assholes right you know you see this a lot in the climate debate you have all these university endowments where like you know the students are protesting and they're being told that they're terrible and that makes them feel terrible right because they went to work they went to work at endowments because they wanted to to their mind like do good right they wanted to be at a institute they they believe in kind of the cause of being at these institutions same with foundations right you have these investment offices that get criticized for making investments and they feel terrible because they're like we're the guys investing the money so you guys can go off and do your thing like leave us alone we're the good guys like and i think that those people in those investment offices want to make money and if they can do it and feel good about what they're doing they are open to that the question is how do you find the opportunities that meet the param- the parameters and needs that they have and in other words meet them where they live instead of forcing them into something that they can't do and i think that we are seeing that happen and you are seeing investors who are interested in identifying new and interesting opportunities and so that that is what gives me cause for optimism the reality is is they might not call it impact right so the other thing that i think potentially is happening is here is that impact investment op- investing is being done by these institutions and because it is market rate or above and it's generating alpha it's not called impact it's just called investing and so what you're left with is everything else and that's kind of in a way what needs to happen to impact investing right that it just needs to become regular old investing the problem is in order for that to happen a bunch of people who have a, have stakes in the impact investing community have to be willing to relinquish power and i'm not sure that everyone is willing to I'm do that i'm not sure there's any power to be relinquished but but your point is well taken i do think there's a bigger point that if you ask me what's bumming me out it's this there's three stages of this transition that that Imogen is talking about. So the first is obviously saying, ah, that's just a bunch of, you know, that's just a bunch of do-gooder stuff and I'm not interested in it. The second is, ah, there might be something there. You know, climate is changing. There are these risks. There are these opportunities. I should hedge my portfolio against the risks and I should get some exposure to this upside opportunity. And so that, you know, a lot of institutional investors and other investors have have made that move. They've hedged themselves. They've put a little money into some low carbon index or they found some ESG investments, like Imogen said. What they haven't done is said, look, the world is going to be moving to a you know low carbon economy, to a whole world of resource constraints around water, to a whole need for 50% more food production, to, um, you know, to a whole 4 billion people in the base of the pyramid moving into the real economy. They haven't said that is the economy of the future and that is the economy I want to be invested in and that's the economy I want to bring forth and therefore I'm going to put the money down to make it so. And so they haven't made the bet. They're still hedging. And the world, you know, from my maybe, you know, overamped, you know, position here, you know, the urgency is there. You see it every day. And so and so and so I want to say to these investors, make the bet. But you're kind of to their mind you're asking them to put the cart before the horse, 
right? They have yet to be convinced that the case has been made for impact investing. And therefore, you're asking them to jump without proof because the way that the traditional investing universe works, that proof doesn't really exist. This is this is the big thing that generation is trying to grapple with, right? They're like, why aren't there more people who are awesome like us? And they feel like, you know, they have failed to spawn a network. The generation would have been a model that others followed, and that didn't really happen. And I think arguably because there were special circumstances that led to the creation of generation. And so there aren't led enough- Led to the creation or led to the performance? Both. I think the two are interrelated. Um, but I think this is also why, like, you know, I'm sort of fascinated by the people that I know in the clean tech spaces, fanboyism around Elon Musk. That was that was that was last month. I know. But then, like, lo and behold, he turns out to be an asshole and they're upset. And I'm like, this wasn't obvious to you all. But like, why are they? I think I think the enthusiasm around him from people in that space comes from the fact that like he, he was the guy out there proving you could be a billionaire in this space, right? And so in order for for impact to be accepted by the the broader Wall Street universe, not just talking about institutional investors here, you need the Elon Musk. Like where is our George Soros, right? Those and without those figures, it's hard to blaze a pathway. And we don't, the problem, the problem, and I don't know how to fix this, obviously, is that we don't have a 10-year runway for those track records to exist. So how do you, how, like, but, but, but just telling people, hey, trust me, this is the way you need to go, ain't going to happen. So, so all investments are a prediction in the future. And David, to your point, you're saying that people are willing or were willing to look at impact investing as a hedge, but not willing to make that big leap and actually uh, you know, put their money where their mouth is. Well, it's interesting. We've covered a bunch of folks who have had very tough time raising their funds. And these are our managers with theses around um, you know, sustainable fisheries, sustainable forestry, um, all kinds of things that in you know invariably you know that thesis again will play out at some point, and they're having a hard time getting LPs to put the money down. Yes, and what they're what I bet you what they're saying is is that we're going to all these investors who say that we're, they're interested in impact. But none of them will invest in first-time funds. Right. Well, it's 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 either they don't want to invest in first-time funds, or like you say, there's not a track record, or there, there's liquidity concerns, or there's um, you know now there's emerging market concerns, or there's there's always a reason to say no, and they're not finding the reason to say yes. Yes, but again, to my point, you can't. You have to meet institutions where they live. You can't bend them to your will. And so I think so we, we have to go to thing, Stanford, Connecticut or Boston or where, yes, yes. Okay. literally okay. <laughs> that is part of it. Right. It's going to these places, establishing a dialogue with these organizations. But also, I think where the impact community has fallen down is, is it hasn't created that ecosystem instead of like, you know, faffing around, creating new securities. Um, <laughs> I'll just Sorry. share with I'll just share with our listeners why Imogen is chuckling. Our producer Isaac Silk, uh, who we thank at the end of every podcast, has just held up a 
a piece of paper to our, our video screen saying policy, policy. And, and to the point, um, the, the, the frenzy over, over opportunity zones that I was not supposed to mention is, is in fact a function of policy. A, they got a, a provision into the tax bill to craft a capital gains tax cut, and, and lo and behold, the money flows. If you got policy around uh, price on carbon, you might have a little different uh, investment calculation around climate investment. See, if, if only we were, we were talking about opportunity zones, I would tell you that policy alone isn't enough um, and that you need to be build an ecosystem around and have policy. And again, where I think that impact has fallen down is building that ecosystem. I think that more time and money needs to be spent investing in those and seeding those first time funds that we know institutions aren't going to be able to invest in so that they can come in at the point where they feel comfortable. And so I think that the impact community has done a good job of building up its ecosystem, but that isn't necessarily the ecosystem that plugs into the broader world. And so, and then they're surprised that people aren't doing what they want them to do. Well, I mean, all, all that's absolutely true. So I don't disagree with with any of it. I'm just saying that there's a there's a way <laughs> to just, get, we're just done. <laughs> there, there's a way to get beyond this, this this impasse. And it is just what Brian said, which is the investment is a bet on the future, but it, but it also helps create that future because the investment, you know, creates the creates the opportunities, creates the, re, the results that that help um, build that future. So um, uh, if you, if you feel again, that there's I think... urgency, I mean, sustainable development goals, which we talked about a lot. The financing for those goals has again flat to down or, or just flat. It's not, has not all of these things that we at Impact Alpha kept keep thinking and keep beating a drum that there's supposed to be some um, inflection point um, and tipping point. You know that seems always. And so to be, we know. Okay, so I think it's a case ever of, arriving and never and never and never arrived. Yeah, and so I think it's a case of actually. I mean, it is communicating, and it is you know it's. Walking into the investment office, going to Boston, going to Connecticut, asking these people, like, what do you need? Like, how how do we, instead of sort of saying you should do this, it's figuring out what what do we need to do to make this into attractive investment opportunities? And why is it that the models that we're using right now have not been successful in doing that? Right. I, I think, Imogen, you're exactly right. I think I think and I think and Imogen, you said this before. I mean, the the one option is you can, you know, bellyache and howl at the wind, um, or or the other is you can say, okay, wait, let's let's deal with the the reality as it exists today, and uh, and and let's you know let's figure out what's not working and why. And Imogen, you've put this before that you know the investment infrastructure isn't in place right now to match supply and demand in the impact investing marketplace. That there uh, that we have investors that that claim to want to be deploying money into impact. And we have plenty of uh, uh, companies and fund managers that are looking to raise money, uh, but there's a mismatch of, of size and, and liquidity and theme areas and everything else. And so that we do need to use the existing mechanisms of the capital markets to raise the capital at scale that needs to be uh, put to work for impact. And we need to have that kind of ecosystem and policy environment and metrics and reportings and everything else we need to support that. But we need to use the the existing infrastructure of the capital markets and not kind of just have the impact people talking to the other impact people ad nauseum at these different conferences and gatherings and convenings uh, because we're not breaking through to the actual decision makers at 
uh, investment funds uh, that need to be uh, engaged. Exactly. Is, that, that, is that fair? That's, that's the problem. And it becomes an echo chamber and you need to be in the rooms where the people who do the job of investing are, as opposed to being just in the room. And to quote Hamilton, to be in the room where it happens. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to break into song. Um, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not disagreeing with those, but I would say those sound like the excuses that investors make for saying no. For example, your first time fund manager uh, question, which is a, obviously a rule that many investor, many LPs have because they want to see a track record, all you know, reasonable. But there was a GIN report several years ago. I think it was the GIN Cambridge benchmarking study, which showed that first-time fund managers in impact actually outperform, and small funds actually outperform. So some of these things are articles of faith that are not actually based in data as much as everybody says they're based in data. They're based in the need to have a way to say no. Yes, but a. People roll out those kind of stats all the time, and a lot of the time they're bullshit. Um, which is not to say that like smaller funds don't outperform, but there's a lot of survivor bias in that, and it's it's a very challenging. It, it is a challenging space, and it's a challenging environment. And what I'm saying is, I'm just for, saying that's an example of that's an example of, of of the excuses people make to say no. And what I'm saying is, it's not about impact investing convincing anybody of anything. It's about uh, investors themselves investing in the future that they want to see, not because they're, you know, do-gooders, but because that's the sustainable, inclusive future that's better for everybody. I, I understand make the what you're saying. on that future and put the money down. I understand what you're saying, but, you know, what you're calling the excuses, they call rules, right? And so... It's not like, again, it's not even necessarily that they want to say no, it's that this is the way they operate. And so it's not that they're just like, oh, well, you know, I want a way to like say no without feeling bad. That's, that, that is the reality. So given those restraints, how do you help them get to yes? Getting to yes, maybe that's the headline for the podcast. And, and so, and so we've gone from uh, the impact on we to getting to yes. Uh, I think I think that's a good place to end right there. So that's going to do it for this episode of returns on investment. Thanks so much to our lovable uh, curmudgeon, Imogen Rose Smith. <laughs> Thank you. Who played the role of somewhat mild optimist. No, I think today. I was pretty. I was, I was pretty hot on David today. <laughs> yeah, you, I think you're optimistic in some ways, but you are you're definitely uh, more curmudgeonly towards uh, our, our co-host David. And thanks to David Bank, our usual uh, wide-eyed optimist who today was uh, suffering the blues. Da na 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 na, the impact blues. <laughs> always fun to see you guys. Uh, and special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights to those working to build a growing economy that's inclusive and sustainable. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking with you soon. <laughs>